Well, good morning to you. I want to talk to you about a, uh, a very sobering topic this morning, and that is what happens after the rapture for the unbeliever. Last week we talked about the rapture as it relates to the believer. Um, Tyler, is there any way to get me just a little bit more juice on this mic? Just, just a little bit. We don't want to have everybody busting their eardrums, but thank you. Um, for the believer, there's three things that's going to take place. There's reunion. Uh, praise God. We're going to see our loved ones who knew Jesus Christ, who have gone on before us. Uh, there's going to be resurrection, uh, brand new body, glorified body. Anybody say hallelujah for that? Uh, and then the third thing will be reward. We talked about that too, that uh, we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to, uh, to receive reward for the things that we've done, our works. Our salvation is based on grace. So this is not a judgment for salvation for the believer. It's a judgment of works. But for the unbeliever, um, and on the way to work, work, on the way to church this morning here, see, I, I view this place a little differently than you do, but uh, uh, on the way in here this morning, <laughs> it's a labor of love, I promise you. But uh, as I was coming in uh, to church this morning, I heard somebody say, uh, they were talking about the book, Living Your Best Life Now. Most, you've probably seen the Christian bookstore. Well, that's only true for the unbeliever. If you, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is as good as it will ever get. This is it. And I got to tell you, if this is heaven, I, that's a pretty big letdown. If this is as good as it gets, you know. And some people believe we're living in the, the new heaven and the new earth right now. Uh, I must be living in the ghetto part of it, if, <laughs> if that's true. I don't know. But, uh, but anyway, but for the unbeliever, <laughs> the, worst, the worst is yet to come, honestly. And so if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to, uh, to call on him uh, right now. My scripture, my jumping off point here is from Daniel 12, verse 1. And uh, if you haven't uh, listened to our sermons on the book of Daniel, you might want to refresh that. It's on YouTube. I've got all of them archived. It's on Podbean, too. But uh, Daniel 12, verse 1 says, And at that time, Michael, who's the archangel, shall stand up the great prince which stands for the children of your people. Who is Daniel's people? Israelites. And there shall come a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. That, that means it's as bad as it's ever been, ever going to be. And at that time, your people, and who were Daniel's people? Jews. Shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. That, that's the book of life. Um, Israel is going to be saved. The purpose of the tribulation is to save Israel. It's to get them to call on their Messiah. It's not to punish the church. I think I'm going to dedicate a whole message on why the rapture has to happen before the tribulation period. I think I'm going to do a whole sermon on that because there's so much confusion. Some people think the church is going through part of the tribulation. Some believe they're going through all of it. Um, and that's just, it's not good uh, not good Bible study. So we're going to go through and, uh, and go through some of that. I'm going to ask Preacher Larry Allen if he will ask God's blessing upon our study this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we can be in your house this morning. Lord, of all the places that we could be, this is the place that we ought to be. And we pray, Father, that you help us pay attention and be careful as our preacher preaches to us this morning. We pray, Father, that you'd help us to apply this message to our own lives. And we pray, Father, that you'd bless each one of us. Help us, Lord, to leave this place rejoicing that we've been in the house of God. Yes. Which we ask in thy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's go to the first slide. Can y'all see that okay? This is the global religious uh, landscape. Kind of show you where, where the world's uh, belief system is. Very few of the population are actually atheists. Most people believe and have some concept of God. Uh, this is from the Pew Research uh, organization. You can go to their website. But if you just Google it, you'll get the same information. It's basically, you know, there's no bias here. Uh, only about 30% um, of the world claims to be Christian. Now understand, that's referring to Christendom. 
Okay, so that includes the Roman Catholic Church, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witness. So the number of actual Christians is probably significantly less than that. I'm not saying that there are not people who were saved in those groups uh, in spite of the false doctrine. But understand that figure factors in everybody that's got some version of Jesus in it. Okay. Uh, and I'm not going to go through all these statistics here. But it's interesting to see that most people believe there's a God. You know, most atheists represent a small, small minority. Um, but that's the piece of the pie there, that blue picture. So at the rapture, let's, let's just say conservatively, if there's about 8 billion people on the planet, I think we're about almost 8 billion, then uh, at least maybe a billion. Now, if the figure's right, it'd be closer to 2 billion. But I'm going to say it's probably less. But even so, imagine in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, a billion people are missing. Okay. And understand that the tribulation does not necessarily begin immediately after the rapture. There could be an interval of time after that. The, Bible, the, the tribulation begins with the signing of a covenant. Remember our study last week uh, from Revelation 4 and 5, and the church is already in heaven, already been rewarded, already worshiping God before the first seal is ever opened. Okay? So there may be an interval of time. It may be days, it may be weeks, it could be years. Uh, we don't know. But imagine if a billion people suddenly went missing. There would have to be an explanation, wouldn't there? So I started looking at some, uh, some different things about what different people believe. And uh, the New Agers uh, believe that there's coming an age of Aquarius or something of that nature where all the bad people are going to be taken away. That's interesting, isn't it? You know who the bad people are? Us. We're the ones who are holding up progress. We're the ones who are not as evolved as they are. But they believe that. I believe, this is just my personal opinion, okay? It, it means nothing. I believe that the aliens somehow will be uh, an explanation because the world's fascinated with UFOs and even the documentaries are now showing alien, ancient aliens and stuff. I believe these alien encounters are nothing more than demons, fallen angels. I believe the people are really seeing these things because their testimonies all agree. It's not all a hoax, but I think what they're seeing is demons, crop circles. This is the activity of demonic. And, uh, and so there's going to have to be an explanation of some kind. Let's go to the next slide. Now, the focus is going to shift from the church to Israel. Acts 15 tells us this, that God is going to bring the Gentiles to faith. Then after this, he's going to restore uh, the tabernacle of David. Let's go to the next slide. Romans 11. Paul says that blindness in part has happened unto Israel until when? Until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And so how much of Israel is going to be saved? All. When Jesus comes back, there won't be any Israelites who are unbelievers. They will have all died. Let's go to the next slide. I added this one this morning. Now, there's a prerequisite for Jesus' second coming. Not the rapture, but the second coming. At the end of uh, the week, the Passion Week, Jesus looked in Matthew 23, and he told him not to weep. He said, we, uh, he says, you will not see me again, it's underlined up here, until what? Until you say, see, who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus will not come physically to the earth, not the rapture, but the second coming, until Israel says, you're my Messiah. Now, why do you think Satan is trying so hard to exterminate the Jews? Because if they don't confess Jesus as Lord, he can't come back. That's from the words of the Lord himself. Let's go to the next slide. Don't you love how these are flowing so quickly this morning? Hosea 6, no, excuse me, 5, 15. This is God talking, okay? I'll return again to my place. Wait a minute. How can God go back to his place? Well, he left his place about 2,000 years ago. 
And he came to Bethlehem. And he took on the robe of flesh. But God says, I will return again into my place. Remember what Jesus said in the upper room? Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Where? At the Father's house. Now, Hosea says, I will return into my place. Notice that word till. Until. Until they acknowledge their offense. Then will they seek my face. In their what? Affliction. That's the tribulation, folks. They will earnestly seek me. All right, next slide. Wow. I'm not going fast just so you'll give me a better offering next week. I know you're thinking my motives are not pure. Uh, Jeremiah 30, in verse 7, says, Alas, that day is great, none is like it. It is even the time of the church's trouble. Is that what it says? Time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. Jews are going to be saved. The Old Testament and the New Testament all predict this. All right, next slide. Wow, i got to slow down. <laughs> Go with me to Daniel chapter 9, if you will. This is an important prophecy. Tyler, can you give me some juice on this microphone here? Interactive, okay. Adam, you feel like reading or are you, you under the weather? I got a, got a little juice for you. All right. Uh, that, read, if you would, Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Okay. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand that going forth of the command to restore the build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. Even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. All right, thank you. So notice 70 weeks of years, and that's 490 years, 70 times 7, are determined upon who? Whose people? Daniel's people. Who are Daniel's people? The Jews. 70 weeks are determined for his people. Now he says, after 69 weeks, or 7 and 62, um, something's going to happen. Messiah's going to, he's going to pre be presented, and he's going to die. Gabriel predicted when Jesus will be born, and the time period that he would live. That's amazing. That's why the critics hate the book of Daniel. Because 600 years prior to Jesus' birth, Gabriel told Daniel when Christ will be born. And ain't it something that all the religious people didn't have a clue that Jesus was coming? You know who did have a clue? The wise men? Who came from the east? The east is Babylon. And guess who trained the wise men a long time ago? Daniel. Remember he was set over the, the wise men? That's amazing, isn't it? The pagans knew Jesus was coming, but the Jews didn't know. But that's all in the plan of God. But after, 400, uh, after 69 weeks... The Messiah will die a sacrificial death. And the temple is destroyed, not by the prince, but by the people of the prince. Who destroyed 
the temple in 70 AD? Anybody know? Romans under Titus, Vespasian. Now, there's a total of 69 weeks, then there's a pause. You and I are living in that pause right now. We're living in that parenthesis, that parenthetical time. But there's still one week remaining. Is that, is that good math or no? If there's 70 weeks and 69 have been fulfilled, that means there's one week. That's how many years? Seven years. Tribulation. Now, the, the Antichrist is going to confirm the covenant with the many, and that's the leadership of Israel, for one week. And in the middle of the week, something's going to happen. Go to the next slide. Thank you, Tyler. You're doing a great job this morning. He says there's going to be an abomination of desolation. That happens in the middle of the, the, the tribulation period. That's when the Antichrist stands in the temple of God and proclaims that he is God. And Jesus said it is a future event. Okay? It's not talking about Antiochus Epiphanes that happened prior. This is a future event. And the whole world is going to see it. How are they going to see it? On CNN, if you watch that garbage, or, or MSNBC or Fox or whatever. It, it, the whole world's going to see it. See, there's a technology statement there. Prior to, you know, the last hundred years, that wouldn't be possible. But now it is. Matthew 20. All right, let's go to the next slide. Man, rocking and rolling. Slow down, Henry. Take a breath. Go with me to Revelation chapter 6. I'm surprised I got any voice left. Any, uh, the Crimson Tide just about let me down last night. Man. Our Heisman Trophy winning quarterback is sitting on the bench, and that's why things are the way they are. I hope your team won yesterday, whoever they are. If you, I know there's a lot of people who don't like Alabama. And I pray for you. Amen. Get your heart right. <laughs> Revelation chapter 6, are we there? All right. Adam's got a real deep voice this morning, but I'm going to ask him one more time, if he will, to read Revelation 6 and just read verses uh, 1 through 10. Now I saw when the Lamb opened up one of the seals, and I heard one of the four li living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering to the conqueror. When he had opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. When he opened up the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature say, come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him, and the power was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill the, with sword, and a hunger and with death, and by the beast of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for their testimony which they had held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Would you read verse 11, too? Yes, sir. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of the fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, were completed. All right, thank you. Yes, sir. 
Now, there are some people who teach that the first half of the tribulation is going to be a picnic. And it's going to be a nightmare. It's going to be a nightmare. Let's talk about the seven seal uh, book. In antiquity, the only thing we have that was a seven uh, sealed scroll was a title deed, a last will and testament. And I believe, and most Bible commentators believe, that this is the, the title deed to planet earth. When God created Adam, he gave Adam dominion over the earth. Not just over the animals, but over the whole earth. You can read about that in Genesis. But Adam sinned, and guess who became the ruler of the planet? Satan. Satan is now the ruler of the world, the god of this age, the prince of the power of the air, whatever. You know, he's got many titles. So uh, in that scene, that wonderful scene that we were singing about, or thank you for those songs today, the lamb, you know, John wept because no man was worthy to open the scrolls. But then they said, don't be weeping, because there's one who's worthy to open the scrolls. And he had to be a man, you see. Couldn't be just anybody. Couldn't be an angel. It had to be a man, a near kinsman redeemer. That's what the book of Ruth is all about. There's a deeper meaning to the book of Ruth. The, new, the near kinsman redeemer. Jesus came, and he became one of us. Glory to God. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And he died on the cross, and he rose again the third day. And he is worthy. I said, he's worthy. He's worthy of your praise. He's worthy of glory. He's worthy of honor. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And he's worthy to open that seven-sealed scroll. Let's talk about four horsemen now. And no, I'm not talking about Ric Flair and Ole and Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. And about two of you got that joke, and, and everybody else is like, what was that about? You have to be old enough to watch Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling when you were a kid. Uh, and if you didn't, you really missed out. But anyway, the four horsemen. H.T., I thought that joke would go over better than it did. It, it was his idea, but anyway. <laughs> All right, the first horseman, okay, is a white horse. And some people say, well, that's Jesus. Well, if it is, he's keeping some really bad company. Uh, now, he's got a white horse, and that's because he's a counterfeit. Jesus is going to come in Revelation 19 riding a white horse. And Jesus is going to come not with a bow, but he's going to come with a sword, which is the word of God. So this guy's a counterfeit. Remember the first sign that Jesus gave when they asked him the sign of his coming? He said, take heed that no man deceive you. This is a counterfeit. And he comes with a bow, but no arrow. So that tells me he's going to conquer through peace. I'm thankful to the late Chuck Missler. He gave me this insight. I never uh, had seen it before. Do you remember the first time a bow is mentioned in the Bible? Rainbow, okay? Now, when God gave Noah the rainbow, what was that rainbow? What, what, what did it symbolize? Somebody said covenant. It's a covenant. The bow symbolized the covenant between God and Noah. That we call it the Noahic covenant. So the first time a bow is mentioned is in terms of a covenant. So the Antichrist is going to make a covenant for one week. But it's going to be a fake peace. And, that's, and we get to the red horse, which symbolizes bloodshed. And, and it says that peace is taken from the earth. Now the black horse, that's famine. Now, famine, folks, is not when you can't find your favorite ice cream in the grocery store. It might feel like it, but it's not. We don't know what famine is like. And this is not just a, a, one, a, con, a, a famine in one area. This is a worldwide famine. Global hunger. And it's uh, a hyperinflation. We're getting a taste of it now, aren't we? This is a taste of it, folks. But the book of Revelation says you'll have, you'll have a whole day's wage a whole day's worth of labor will not take care of one day's worth of food. 
That's scary. But notice it says, hurt not the oil and the wine. Those are items of luxury. That's what happens with Marxism and socialism and communism is the, work, the middle class disappears. The poor are impoverished and totally dependent upon the government and the rich get richer. Marxism is straight out of the pit of hell. And that's where the leaders of your country would love to take this country. They'd love to take it. This stuff that's happening in the world, it's not by accident, it's by design. Wake up. And it's indoctrinated in the schools. Evolution, and I, we've got some godly teachers in here. Thank God for Marsha and Abby and, and all those who teach, Wendy, who teach. I, I'm not saying every teacher is bad, but most public schools are nothing more than an indoctrination camp to teach evolution and transgenderism and Marxism. That's right. The pale horse might be called a green horse, a sick horse. Represents death. Sword, famine, disease. I don't know what the latest total was that COVID-19 killed, but it pales in comparison, no pun intended, to what's coming with the pale rider. Pales in comparison. Now notice, with that fourth seal, how much of the earth's population is destroyed? <coughs> Let's go to the next slide. Does that sound like a picnic to you? No. Folks, they're working on diseases right now. Uh, they're manufactured. I, I, you'll never convince me that COVID-19 was not intentionally released. You'll never convince me of that. I better shut up, right? They'll, shut, they'll ban me. They'll cancel me. All right, let's go to the next slide. The fifth seal. All right. Martyrdom. The fifth seal is martyrdom. Now, there's going to be a lot of people who, after the rapture, are going to give their heart and life to Jesus Christ. And I hope it's nobody here this morning. Oh, God, that would break my heart. But there's going to be some people that were married to Christians and they weren't saved. And that person's going to be gone and it's going to dawn on them. Okay, this person loved the Lord Jesus Christ and all of a sudden they're gone. And I believe there's going to be millions and millions of people saved during the tribulation period. But they are going to pay a horrible price. If you're alive on the earth and you're a Christian, you will be killed for your faith. You're not going to be able to just come to church and have, you know, have praise and worship. You're going to live on the run. And you're going to be killed. The sixth seal, there's convulsions of nature. Now, some people believe there's going to be meteor showers that are going to happen because of the way it describes it. And I thought it was interesting, just a few weeks ago, NASA launched an, an anti-meteor missile. Did anybody see that? Pretty cool. An asteroid or whatever. Now, some people say, well, that's when the wrath of God begins. No, it begins when Jesus opens the first scroll. Now, in Revelation 9, by the time you get to Revelation 9, it says the third part of men were killed in the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths. I've only got two more slides, so let's do a little exercise, guys. Hold up four fingers, if you will. All right. Now, in Revelation chapter 6, in the previous slide, we read that a third of the earth's population was destroyed. Put down your index finger. Okay? Now, when you get to Revelation 9, it says that a third part of humanity is killed. Put down your middle finger, because we don't want you shooting the bird to anybody. <laughs> You'll never forget this illustration. By the time you get to Revelation chapter 9, 
50% of the earth's population of 8 billion people have been extinct. You can put your fingers down now. And all of this, my friends, is before the midpoint of the tribulation. Say, well, I just missed the rapture and I'll get saved after the rapture. No. You're, you're playing Russian roulette. Let's go to the next slide. Now, this goes on beyond the, the Olivet Discourse. When you read Matthew 24, you should not be looking for the rapture there. That's where so many people get tripped up as they read Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is about the tribulation period. Jesus is answering a question asked by the disciples. Why don't we go to Matthew 24? Why don't we just do that? Matthew 24. And I, some of this stuff I'm going to rehearse with you. But repetition, I think, is helpful, especially with eschatology. This is, there's a lot to remember, a lot to keep straight. Matthew 24. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But in verse 1, it says, Jesus departed from the temple, and the disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. They were impressed. Now, here his temple was amazing. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. And the disciples, they're kind of like us, you know. Uh, I was talking to my buddy Donnie from uh, North Wadesboro, and we were talking about taking mission trips and stuff, you know. And uh, Donnie said, I don't know if my folks would go on a mission trip or not. He said, some of my people have never been to Charlotte before. <laughs> you ain't missed much, I guess. But he was sincere, you know. And I guess the, the disciples were kind of like that. Here's these guys from Galilee. And they're seeing the temple for the first time, and they're like, wow, Jesus, look at this. Was Jesus impressed? No. Jesus said, do you see all these things? Verse 2, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He's predicting 70 A.D. Jesus is predicting that Vespasian, Titus, would destroy the temple. Jesus knows the future, doesn't he? Hallelujah. You say, why should I care about any of this? Because God cares about what's going on with you right now. And if God's got the future under control, he's got your today and your tomorrow under control. Now, as they sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him, verse 3, and they said, tell us, when shall be the rapture? Is that what they asked him? Nope. Why? Because he didn't even teach them about the rapture yet. Jesus did not teach about the rapture until the upper room, which was the night before he was crucified. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, heaven, there you may be also. He hadn't even taught him about the rapture yet. So for you to look for the rapture in here is an anachronism. You're looking for something that's out of time. Okay. But they said, tell us when shall these things be? What's that? The destruction of the temple. And the sign of your coming. That's the second coming. That's not the rapture. Now, the King James says the end of the world. It should be age, really. The Greek word is ion. It's the end of the age. So Jesus is talking about what's happening, not at the rapture, but at the, the end of the age. And the first thing he says in verse 4 is, Take heed that nobody deceives you. Don't be fooled. Because the white horse rider is coming. And he looks like the real thing. He's on a white horse, but he's not the real thing. He's a counterfeit. And what's going to happen? Many's going to come in my name saying, I am Christ, and they shall deceive many. And you shall hear wars and rumors of wars. That's the red horse rider. Okay? This is a parallel to Revelation 6. There's the red horse rider. He says, all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation against nation. That's ethnic group. Kingdom against kingdom. That's territories. And what else? Famine. Oh, my. There's the black horse rider. Are you seeing a pattern here? And pestilences, that's the pale horse rider. And earthquakes, that's what the fifth seal or the sixth seal. All these are the end of the tribulation. Is that what he says? The beginning of King James says sorrows. It's literally in the Greek birth pains. 
Any ladies in here ever gave birth? Even you have, that have had C-sections, I'll let you get in on this too. But, um, now, it's one thing to want a baby. It's another thing to be expecting a baby, right? Two different things. Now, if you're expecting a baby, that baby's going to come. Now, he, he or she may not come when you want him to. I'm going to say him, but understand I'm just speaking generically here. I'm not being a misogynist or whatever. Don't cancel me. I'm speaking of a generic he, okay? When the baby's coming, as you get closer to the time period, you're going to start having some of those, what do they call them, Braxton Hicks contractions? Kind of like pseudo-contractions. And you think the baby might be coming, but the doc, you'll, you'll rush to the OBGYN doctor, <laughs> and he'll say, don't be alarmed, these are just Braxton Hicks. You know, everything's okay. But the time is not yet. But then as things begin to progress and progress, you start having the real thing, the real deal. Yeah. And as time goes on, do the contractions get less intense or more intense? More. And, 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 and then you need to have a bag packed, right? You need to have your bag packed. And, and husbands, you need to sleep with one eye open. And have plenty of gas in the car. Because at some point, she's going to say, we need to go. <laughs> and it's going to, the baby's coming. But Jesus likened the tribulation period to birth pains. Okay? Now the earthquakes, the famines, the pestilence, the war, the, 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 the martyrdom, all of these stuff... These are not the end. Jesus said these are just the beginning of sorrows. It's a pretty sobering thought, isn't it? Things are going to get much worse. And, yeah, and then he gets to the abomination of desolation in verse 15. That's at the midpoint. So all this other stuff happens before the midpoint of the tribulation period. Uh, just, uh, but when you get to... Uh, Hello. <laughs> but when you, when you finally get to that point um, of almost extinction, Jesus said in verse 20, uh, 21 and 22, he says, except those days should be shortened, nobody would survive. We've already seen by Revelation 9, 50% of Earth's 8 billion people are extinct. They're gone, never coming back. And Jesus said, unless those days have been shortened, Nobody would be spared. Now, that doesn't mean the tribulation is going to be six and a half years, but it just means it's been limited to seven years. It'll go no farther. And that's why I know that the rapture uh, is happened before the tribulation because the rapture, there's no sign preceding it, okay? The second coming, you've got all kinds of milestones, you know? The signing of the covenant, I can mark it on my calendar. Okay, seven years from now. Three and a half years in... The, the Antichrist is going to go into the temple. He's going to pretend to be God. I can mark it on my calendar. Okay, three and a half years from now, Jesus is coming. This is, a this is one of the most historically documented periods in all of human history. The rapture is not. Now, Zechariah 13, you don't have to turn there because it's up on the, the, uh, the, uh, the PowerPoint. But in verse uh, 9, God says, I'll bring the third part through the fire. And I will refine them. Excuse me. Uh, verse 8 says, Two parts therein shall be cut off. Now, uh, during the Holocaust, and it really happened, folks, six million Jews were killed. Six million. That was roughly a third of the Jewish population. But in the tribulation period, God says, Two thirds of the Jewish population will be destroyed. Two-thirds. And I will bring the third part through the fire, he says, and I will refine them as silver is refined. When will that happen? During the tribulation period. Then they shall call on my name and I will hear them. Oh, praise God. Isn't that what Jesus said right before he died? He said, you're not going to see me again 
until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, it, and finally, 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 after they go through the horrors of the tribulation period, the leaders of Israel who rejected him 2,000 years prior, and whoever, however long it's been, they're going to say, Yeshua, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Lord of glory. He's the one we've been waiting for. We've been looking for him to come the first time, but he's already come. And the Lord is my God, is what they're going to say. Let's go to the last slide. Did you hear what I said? Last slide. No joke, guys. I'm not teasing you. Points of application. Some of you say, well, so what? I'm not going to be here anyway. Why should I care? Well, I've already told you why you should care. Number one, it's God's word. But number two, you should see the precision with which God superintends over human history. And understand that as you read the newspaper or watch the news or, or however you digest the propaganda that you're given, um, understand that the world's not falling apart, it's falling into place. God's in control. Regardless of what happens in November, God's in control. Thank you, Brother Ronnie. I needed somebody to tell me it was okay. I think Adam said it was okay, too. No matter what happens, I know people are all anxious. Oh, goodness. Listen, God's in control. God's in control of your today. You got anything worrying you today? I dare say some of you in here have got some things that are giving you anxiety. I'm, I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands. But is there anything that's giving you, is there anything on Sunday that's giving you worry about the week ahead? I know I, I've told you this before, but I used to work a job that I just absolutely hated. And Sunday night, I couldn't even enjoy Sunday evening because there was such dread of the week ahead. You ever been there? It's not a fun place to be. But maybe you've got something that's just dread has overtaken you. Take heart, my friend. God's in control of your today and your tomorrow. There's nothing that you and God can't handle. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. But here's one point of application. Reject uniformitarianism. It's a big word, but it, all it means is, is that the present doesn't determine the past or the future. You see? And Peter predicted in 2 Peter 3 that uniformitarianism would be the order of the day. There will be two things. It's interesting. Peter knew. It's amazing isn't it, that God knows what's going to happen on this planet. He knows. Peter said there's two things that people are going to hold to. They're going to deny creation. That's evolutionism. And they're going to deny the flood. That's the judgment of the world. There's been four times in human history that the world has changed. That's why I'm preaching so much out of Genesis. I spent so much time. Number one was the creation of the, of the universe. God created everything. And the scientists would have you believe that there was a big bang. And that just randomly the earth just happened to fall into orbit in just the right place. Spinning around. I don't even know how fast it spins around every day. But it, we're, actually, we're actually flying right now. The earth is spinning around so fast, but we don't perceive it. The earth's spinning around so fast. You know? And we are just close enough to the sun to where we don't freeze to death. But we're just far enough away to where we don't vaporize, turn into smoke. But all of that just randomly happened according to the, the evolutionists. That we went from the goo to you by means of the zoo. I want to encourage you. If you want to know what's going on in the world, read your Bible. You say, I'm really interested in the origin of, of human history. Read the Bible. Because when you turn on the History Channel, and I'm not against documentaries, I watch them too. But understand this. If you go to the History Channel or the Discovery Channel, the first thing that they're going to say, there's going to be some guy with a British accent, he's going to say, billions of years ago. When you hear billions of years ago, what you need to hear is once upon a time in a faraway land. Because you're about to hear a fairy tale. But see, they need you to believe that. 
They need you to believe that the earth is billions of years old and that humanity's been here for billions of years because that's the only way they can get you to believe that asinine thought that the world exploded and all of a sudden, poof, we're here. And the universe, you know. That's the only way they can get you to believe that stuff. Have you ever seen a, 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 you know, a monkey turn into a person? No. But if the evolutionist is right... The process should be getting better. It should be easier for a, a monkey to transition, right? <laughs> All right, I'm just going to shut up. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, and I'm, you know, out of all the things that happened from COVID-19, and, and it was terrible. Listen, I lost friends, COVID-19. But one thing COVID-19 showed us is that uniformitarianism is a, is a load of hogwash. What if I had told you in January 2020, uh, if I'd have stood up here in this pulpit and I would have said, three months from now, this church will be closed and you'll be wearing a mask in a grocery store. Oh, and you won't be able to go to work either. Would you have believed me? You'd have thought, man, what a kook. Wouldn't you? I know that because some of you think that today. You think, <laughs> you think what is that fool talking about here? Beast and horsemen and all that stuff. You would have thought I was an idiot. If I'd have said, six months from now, you're going to see me in Walmart, but you won't recognize me because I'll have a mask on. And it won't even be Halloween. <laughs> what about 9-11, September the 11th? What if I had told you September the 10th, 2001, that you would have had to go through all of this rigmarole at the airport. You would have been like, nah. I just get on my plane with my gun and my hairspray and my... <laughs> no. The world has drastically changed, folks. Uniformitarianism is a lie. Today does not determine the past, and it certainly doesn't determine the future. But that's what the uniformitarian uh, belief is. Well, today's just like yesterday, and tomorrow will be just like today. No. All right, number two, live for God. Romans 13 says we ought to live for God because now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. People ask me, do you think we're living in the, the final hour? And I say, I don't know for sure, but I know one thing, we're closer today than we were yesterday. You're closer to meeting your maker one day than you were yesterday, regardless. Your life is a vapor that appears for a little time. This is not a time to be playing games with God. It's not. Number three, preach the gospel. Matthew 28 and Mark 16. We're familiar with that. That's the Great Commission. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Why, why should I even preach about the end times? Or the, the, because there's a window of time, and that window is going to close, and I've got to reach as many people as I can between that time with all the resources that I've got available. I thank God that we have the technology now to broadcast our services and uh, po podcasts and so forth. It's, it's amazing the opportunities God has given us. I want to ask you personally, are you using all the opportunities and resources that God has given you to reach as many people as you possibly can before that trumpet sounds? Because Paul says that it's going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And he says, don't lose heart because your labor is not in vain. All right, the third thing is to believe the gospel. Or fourth thing, believe the gospel. <laughs> believe the gospel. Believe it. John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life. And he shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. That's great. You and I need not fear the tribulation. And if we know Christ as our Savior, we need not fear the wrath of God in, in eternity. And you cannot put a price on that, my friend. Would you stand? Now, folks, this is the view from 30,000 feet. I, you know, we could spend three months talking about the tribulation period. And we just covered the first half from 30,000 feet. You don't want to be there. 
And I know you think you're tough, and you say, well, I could handle famine, but could you handle watching your child starve to death? That's a whole different story. Yeah, you could give your life for Christ, but how about watching your son or your daughter give their life for Jesus Christ? Would you be able to do that? I don't know. That's, that's, that's tough. This is as easy as you'll ever have it, Brother Lynn. You'll never have an easier time to come into the kingdom of God. Oh, there will be people saved during the tribulation period, but they will go through agony. It will be great distress. And who, who knows who will even survive? You're talking about wars, nuclear war. I, I'm, I'm certain there's going to be nuclear war in the tribulation period. Might not be global, but there's going to be nuclear war. Man has never created a weapon that he didn't use. He's going to. And you've got absolute nutballs with nuclear take capability. People who wouldn't, who are suicidal themselves, they wouldn't care about pushing a button. They don't care. You'll never have an easier time. Here is the good news. The good news is that God sent his son to this world, and he became a man, and he went through all of the, uh, the temptations that you and I face. There's not one thing that you're tempted with that Jesus can't relate to. He knows everything that you're going through. And yet he never sinned. And he died in your place on a cross, on a place called Calvary. He wore the crown of thorns. He was beaten beyond recognition. He took upon himself the wrath of God that you and I rightly deserve. He took it on his body, in his person. He took the punishment that comes to us. And that's why we can look at him, Ronnie, and say, worthy is the lamb. That's why we'll worship him for all eternity. Because he's going he's gonna to still bear the marks of the scars in heaven. Did you know that? Even in heaven, he will bear the marks of the scars. And now, even now, he's reaching out that nail-scarred hand to you. and said, I love you. I died for you. If you'll live for me, if you'll simply put your trust in me, you can spend eternity with me forever. Do you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. If you believe that, if you believe it in your heart, confess it with your mouth, you too can be born again and spend eternity. And you and I can view all of this tribulation activity from heaven itself and not on the earth. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're a believer that's estranged from God, you're not living the life that you need to live, and you know it, Come to this altar and make it right today. Would you come? Just as you are.